on episode 138 of the Vincast, I chat with Leanne de Bortley of de Bortley Wines. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Vincast. My name is James Scaresbrook, otherwise known as The Intrepid Wino, and I'm thrilled to have you listening to a new episode, uh, a really, really awesome episode. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited to uh, to share the story of uh, today's guest, and I uh, look forward to hearing everyone's uh, impressions and feedback. But uh, before I get into that, uh, I wanted to let you know that I've been invited to uh, put together uh, an amazing uh, six-pack of wine by the guys at The Local Drop, which is a fantastic sort of wine curating, uh, personalized sommelier service uh, based here in Melbourne. Uh, and probably unsurprisingly, the, the six-pack that I've put together uh, is around Australian wines made from Italian grape varieties. I make uh, no secret of my love of Italian grape varieties, particularly here in Australia. Uh, of course, I've um, now made three different vintages uh, of wines made exclusively from Italian grape varieties sourced from Australian regions. Uh, and I'm really excited about this pack. Um, some of the producers in there uh, I'm, I personally you know, uh, believe in and they've done amazing work. And, um, and I think one has actually been a former guest and maybe a couple more might be future guests. Uh, and the pack actually includes one of my own wines made from the 2017 vintage. So, uh, please head to the local drop very soon. That pack will be available for $175 plus freight. Uh, it's a, it's a fasc- fascinating opportunity to look at what I think is a potential of Italian varieties here in Australia. So please do support the local drop as well. Um, they do an amazing job. They're sourcing some beautiful wines uh, and uh, and I'm really excited to work with them. Uh, so yeah, as I mentioned, I've got a, an amazing guest on this episode. Uh, it is actually Leanne de Bortley from de Bortley Wines. Uh, Leanne uh, and her family are celebrating 90 years of de Bortley wine history this year. Uh, so I was really um, glad to be able to catch up with her out in the Yarra Valley, their winery, uh, to chat about uh, the amazing impact that the Bordley has had on the Australian wine industry, but also Leanne's involvement in the business. So uh, I do hope you enjoy the episode. Please do stick around until the end to find out how you can get in contact with Leanne and myself. But until then, I'll see you on the other side. Leanne, we are uh, here in the, the beautiful uh, Yarra Valley estate of de Bortley Wines, uh, and we're about to have a chat. Um, so thank you very much for making some time in uh, your no doubt very busy schedule, uh, and welcome on the Vincast. Oh, thanks for having me. Leanne, I start every episode of my podcast asking my guests uh, the earliest memory that they can think of um, where they kind of realised what wine was and, and you know the, the importance of wine that kind of made them really fall in love with it. Uh it's probably a little bit hard for me because growing up in a in a wine family, we lived opposite a winery. Wine was a part of our life. My parents were involved in it. We were surrounded by vines, surrounded by everything that goes on. So um, probably 
uh, I suppose from the earliest age, I don't know how old I was, but when we would sit at the dinner table with uh, with my parents and uh, my brothers and I would want to have a, a glass of wine too, so we would have... They do it in that Italian way and then, then water it down a little bit? Uh, well, it, yes, watered it down a lot, and I think it was with <laughs> lemonade, so it was oh. a little bit of red with a, a lot of lemonade. Yeah. And then, and then as we got older it was yeah more wine less lemonade <laughs> so yeah sort of the cocktail changed yes it did uh, so where did you guys actually grow up in uh, in Bilbul in New South Wales country New South Wales so Bilbul is very close to Griffith right so you're talking about yeah fairly fairly much out in the country yeah and and this is where that sort of the debortley family kind of got their start, correct? Uh, they did. It was my grandfather when he migrated from Italy uh, back in the early 20s. He ended up in Melbourne, but at that time there were a lot of Italians who were uh, going up to Griffith, and so he went up there because he knew of, of people up there. And so he just started working for working for, for other farmers, and at one point he was living under a rainwater tank and growing vegetables along the uh, channel bank and working for a um, working for a farmer. Uh, well, it was a vineyard at that time, and it was called Jones's Winery, which later on uh, was um, taken over or part of McWilliams. Mm. And we were given some photos by the McWilliams family of uh, thirty years ago, which actually showed the rainwater tank and the vegetables on the channel bank from. Where, where my grandfather basically started. Wow. But he, he, he worked hard, saved all his money and bought a, a small mixed fruit farm. Which part of Italy did you come from? Uh, from uh, near uh, Veneto, so okay. north northwest of Venice at the foot of the Dolomites. Oh, wow. So uh, probably uh, the, the, the actual town was called Castelcucco, but it's very close to um, Azolo, um, Bassano del Grappa is uh-huh. probably the the largest regional town. Yeah, and uh, we've we've been there many times, and we actually had a family Christmas there of about uh, twelve years ago. Wow! Uh, but it's it's the most beautiful part of Italy, and it must have been quite a shock for him coming over at that time when you know this beautiful mountainous um, green countryside, and then coming over to what was essentially just flat terrain and um, the irrigation system was only just being sort of set up. So Griffith was very, very dry, but uh, it was fertile, beautiful red red soils. So all it needed was, was water and yeah. water was brought to the region. Yeah. And if you, I don't know if you've ever been to to Griffith. I haven't actually. Mm. It's, uh, it's kind of not really on the way to no. anything. No, it's in the middle of nowhere really. <laughs> you have yeah. to go specifically to that place. Exactly. But as you drive into Griffith, it's uh, oh, there's orchards, there's, uh, and especially in springtime when the um, almond trees or the, um, all the fruit trees are in, in blossom and you've mm-hmm. got vineyards and it's, uh, it is, it is a, a, a thriving region and a thriving t- township. And back in those days, or back in the days that my grandfather was there, it was very much an Italian community. So in the early years, nobody really needed to speak English because they were um, dealing a lot of the time in Italian. Was it also um, quite regional? I know that post-World War II, 
Um, historically, uh, there was a lot of migration of people from specific regions of Italy would go would end up in certain areas. Yes, or, or that like Melbourne, Sydney, they tended to sort of you know I think Melbourne had slightly more Sicilians, for example. Mm. Did, was that also the case then? A uh, lot of lot of northern Italians. Okay, uh, and and I guess when uh, people uh, when you have migrants going to a particular place, and so when other migrants from a similar um, similar region, mm. when they come to a country, yeah, I guess they particularly tend to migrate if they can only to speak, that same place. Particularly if they can only speak the local dialect. Um, Very much so, you know? yes. Um, so there were northern Italians, but there are also quite a few um, Calabrians um, okay. as well, so southern Italians. So there was, well, yeah, there was a bit there of A lot of Calabrians ended up in Shepparton, yes. for example. Um, and, and obviously this... this Period in history post World War One, and you know there was a lot of fighting in, in northern Italy. So yes. I can imagine, you know, it would have been pretty rough in Italy um, yes. at that time. Um, and then, yeah, so he, of course, well, for him as the of, as the youngest of of uh, quite a large family, mm. he knew that the opportunities were very limited for him on the on the family farm sure. and also yeah Europe was recovering from the war so he was a farmer back in Italy uh, yes family... but it was it was just uh, basically a farm that provided food for right themselves. okay yeah yeah okay. so it wasn't anything commercial no okay uh, so for him but he knew farming he knew farming right. yes okay and so when he came out to Australia at that time there were all the soldier settlement farms that had been given to the returning soldiers, yeah. but a lot of them um, they weren't they didn't, weren't farmers. Yeah, they didn't. Know. Yeah, and yeah. so many of them walked off the farms or sold the farms quite cheaply. So it was a very good opportunity for a young, you know, young enterprising uh, Italian migrant Italian migrant to come yeah. in who knew who knew how to farm. Yeah. So for him, when he first uh, first bought the the farm, and that's where that's where the mothership still is today. Sure. So it's it's expanded quite significantly sure. from those from 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 those first days. But uh, he there there was some Shiraz grapes on there, and there were fruit trees, and and he ended up planting other other fruit trees, and he had his uh, chickens and pigs and pigeon coop and mm. so it was all about self-sustaining a classic fattoria italian yes. model yes did he meet your grandmother here in in italy they were childhood sweethearts oh. so she was from a neighboring uh, a neighboring village so she came out later on she came out afterwards right. so she worked as a nanny in france to earn her fare to right. be able to come out and and join him okay so uh, she it must have been a shock for her as well. Oh know. yes, yes. Even you know, he probably would have been writing to her and kind of trying to put it into context what living in Griffith was like. And mm. she went, "Okay, I can't quite understand that." <laughs> yes. And getting and going, "Wow, this is it's a big country." It, yeah, very much so. And she she landed in um, in Sydney, and she was uh, supposed to be picked up by her I think by her brother and something happened but somebody somebody looked after her so she always had a very very good impression about coming to Australia oh, that's and good. Australians that's lucky yes uh, so so how did he growing up uh, at what point did you kind of get a sense of the the importance of that you know being a third generation Australian uh, Italian Australian and uh, and the pioneering work that your that your grandfather actually did uh, I, well I, I 
think um, as because my grandparents also lived on on the on the farm, sure. so yep. uh, growing growing up with them, and I think as a child you probably don't really think terribly much uh, much about it. But when I look at all the what they set up, and then when my father took over the business, and then what he how he contributed to it, and he was he was a visionary as well. So. So for my grandparents setting up the business that they did and for them taking a certain amount of risks as uh, they they were very conservative but still to be able to set up a business and um, and plan and, and try different things and try and make basically make wines that they knew that there were different markets for mm-hmm. uh, and, but then my father came along and he had a he had a bigger plan uh, and he, used to wait until my grandparents would head up to Sydney for um, a couple of months and that's when he would do um, a fairly large expansion program. Wow, okay. And then my grandparents would come back and they, my grandfather and father would have this almighty row <laughs> uh, because my grandfather was very conservative and he didn't want to uh, overstretch himself and go into debt whereas I think for my father he could, he could, see, he could see the potential. This would have been post World War Two. Uh, well, oh, this was um, with my father. Uh, he took over the. He was working in the business in the um, 19, 1950s. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So <laughs> coming, you know, having having migrated from Italy mm-hmm. with basically nothing, and you know, then kind of during Depression era and then mm. World War Two, your grandfather and grandmother, you know, would have had to like. A, we have to sort of live within our means. We can only grow yes. incrementally. We can't do big expansions. And then your mm. father kind of saying, no, you know, this is new opportunities, this is new energy. We have yep. to grow. We have to. Typical father and son relationship. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Very, <laughs> In a family very, business. Very big kind of generational, um, you know, divide as far as ideas about how to run a business. Mm. Um, and, uh, and as far as yourself and your siblings, did, did you always kind of, have an idea that you would all end up in the family no, business? No, no. If, if anyone maybe was probably more um, pushed into it, I guess you could say it would have been my older brother Darren, mm. uh, only because he was the oldest oldest boy, and uh, my I think my grandfather sort of just assumed he would he would go into the business. But there wasn't ever any real pressure on on all of us. Darren studied winemaking at Roseworthy. And then came back and was looking after winemaking at um, at the winery, and then with my other two brothers and myself, we um, yeah we just sort of came into the business at um, at different times, but also at the time that we were all coming into the business, it was when we were going through enormous growth. So so there were the opportunities for us to come in and for us to come in in, in different parts. Right. Okay. Find our feet. Sure. Mm-hmm. So um, before you kind of. Got you know became a part of the the family business. What we what did you do? How did you kind of explore and and, and try different things? Um, not not a great deal. I did a bit of travel overseas, uh, but then I I was interested in in the business, and so I did I did wine marketing at Roseworthy uh, all those years ago. Back when it was at Roseworthy. At, at Roseworthy, exactly. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, um, I, I enjoyed being in wine and um, I probably if I'd had the time again, uh, I would have 
we all would have benefited from maybe going out and working elsewhere? Yeah, look, um, as a, a member of the fantastic uh, Australia's First Families of Wine uh, group, uh, I know that um, some of my other former guests uh, who are, you know, mm-hmm. want, you know uh, a more recent generation, um, they kind of, their, their family policy was almost that, you know, you have go to go away. And, yeah, yes. like, for example... Um, I'm pretty, yeah, it was the, the brown, the brown, the brown yeah. girls from yes. who are, are part of All Saints, you know. Their, their dad said, no, you have to go off and you have to, you know, find, find, go and, if, if you want to work in the wine industry, fine, go and work for a different wine company, go mm. and get some experience, go, go and, and kind of be able to come back with a different perspective, a different context to help the, the, the our family business grow and evolve mm. um so that that wasn't necessarily the the case with you no no yeah. it wasn't but that that is something that we have uh set in place for okay. <laughs> the next generation sure. the the fourth geners yeah that um they that they need to go off and oh, okay get a degree or learn a trade mm-hmm. do something but then go and work somewhere else can it can be in a totally unre- unrelated field yeah but to have at least two years away somewhere else and at no point can you kind of begrudge your your parents. It's like I've only ever worked in the wine industry. It's like no, you you, you had an opportunity, you had it, you know, another exactly. another career. Yes. <laughs> so the elder the elder fourth geners of which um, I have two daughters. Yep. Steve and I have two daughters, and uh, Darren has three children. Mm-hmm. So they're they're currently some of them are um, are working in in the business, uh, and our other daughter she's working for another company uh, totally unrelated to wine there at the go. moment okay but we oh, we would welcome them all back into the industry but it's it's kind of nice for them to go out and be a, a little fish in a big pond sure mm. I, I can imagine that uh, expansion and growth it becomes really important when you're looking at kind of fourth generation when mm. there's how many great-grandchildren of the mm. of the founder of the estate. It's like, well, we have to find jobs for them all. <laughs> yes, and and that's that's something we're very conscious about is that <clears throat> if they want to come into the family business, they need to be coming in and uh, and contributing. And it doesn't it doesn't matter if it's uh, just in um, uh, being on the bottling line for a while or uh, uh, being involved in winemaking or working on the farm or working in in marketing. It's it's good for them good for them to get experience in, sure. in all those different areas. Of course. But we're not going to create a job just just for them. There 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 has to be an opening for them to come into and, and they do have to uh, prove themselves, mm-hmm. which is probably a little bit more than uh, my brothers and I had to do. Yeah, no doubt. Mm. I guess it's one of the other benefits of uh, having children uh, is that you can uh, you can get some cheap labour earlier on. Yes. <laughs> it's like it's an internship. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, so why did you kind of want to follow um, sort of the marketing side of things? What Where did that kind of interest come from? You went and studied at, at Roseworthy, you studied the wine marketing course. I did. I was um, I, I was interested uh, just in in what we could be doing with uh, with with new products and new product development, mm-hmm. uh, new pro- markets. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, and at that stage, the the market was just growing uh, massively. Sure. Uh, in Australia. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, when uh, when my family bought this property here in in the Yarra Valley. And that was back in 1987. Mm-hmm. At that stage, um, I was still 
um, I, I had finished at at Roseworthy and I was just working in the business up in New South Wales. But um, I met a winemaker, <laughs> Stephen Weber, and uh, and then we uh, dated for a while and we were married in 1989. And at that time, Steve was a winemaker for Lindemans. So he had been based in uh, at Caradoc. And then uh, when we were married, he was moved to uh, look after the winemaking at Rouge Homme in Coonawarra. Right. So we were there for about six months when my family approached us about... Uh, coming across to to manage uh, this property here, sure, uh, which uh, we didn't need to be asked twice, and uh, so we came over in May of 1989, and we've been here ever since, and we've developed the the vineyards, we've developed the the restaurant, cellar door facility, just what we do for um for for tourism, very much involved in in new products, uh, planting different different varieties. And then after that time, um, my family also then bought property in King Valley, mm-hmm. which we've planted vines there, mm-hmm. and more recently in Heathcote. So we're expanding to different areas. But um, here in the Yarra Valley, Steve and I look after um, pretty much um, all the all the wine produced from those properties. So before the, the Yarra Valley, the Dixons Creek uh, mm-hmm. estate was established, um, that, that was, it was only in New South Wales? Yes. Right. Okay. Yes. So, um, obviously, uh, the move to the Yarra Valley in Victoria, um, possibly seeking out slightly cooler climates, was um, related to how the wine market was evolving. Um, before the eighties um, and kind of the interest in, in Chardonnay, for example, mm. um, and, and you know, interest in sparkling wine came on board. Um, what was the Australian market? like for for wine and and how did de Bortoli kind of fit into that uh well export was 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 growing and for us there were huge opportunities overseas uh we had a terrific market in in sweden uh in the in the uk uh japan we were building new markets elsewhere overseas but also it was very strong here in australia and I think for us, because we had our own distribution uh, uh, setups in in Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, we were able to uh, to service those with our own sales teams. Um, with um, we had our own drivers. Mm-hmm. So for us, for us as a company, and having quite a wide portfolio. Uh, until we bought the Yarra, yes, it was mainly in the inexpensive end. Sure. But uh, but then in coming to the Yarra, where we were able to build on a premium wine portfolio, it sort of gave us it, it gave us um, something that we could go out with a with a sales team. Mm. So, so, so you guys have been self distributing into the wholesale market for oh, 40, 50 years. Yes, yes. It, it's 40, yeah, wow. even. Uh, it would be pretty close to that. Wow, yes. that's that's incredible. Yeah. But we we did have when my grandparents uh, they they set up a wholesale arm in in Sydney. This is going back mm-hmm. um, uh, back in the when would it have been in the nineteen forties? So so for my grandparents, there was always just having that uh, having that sort of vertical integration there, and. Uh, so then, when the opportunities came up to be able to set up something similar in Victoria and then in uh, Queensland, yeah. uh, we did it. Yeah. Well, I, I guess yeah. I mean, that is kind of the other reason to 
to set up something in a, in, in a cooler climate region like the Yarra Valley is that in the 80s, the market for Australian wine was um, not just growing, but also it was becoming mm. more premium. Yes. And so there was that kind of need to, that, that evolution was necessary. It's like, well, we need to start making more premium wines and there's mm. only so much premium we can get. Uh, in, in a slightly warmer climate. That's right. Um, unless you start moving into alternative varieties, but uh, that's something mm. that's been more recent, of course. Um, and it was and it was difficult for us in those early days when we when we did have uh, were making premium wine from here because for a lot of uh, for a lot of people and a lot of retailers they knew of us as uh, as basically producers of inexpensive wine. Yeah. So we almost had to completely over deliver. To, to be able to build up our credibility mm-hmm. and and it, it 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 was difficult in in some parts but then we we also had a we we had a we did have a, a loyal following yeah um, with a lot of people and and I find it quite gratifying now that uh, if you were speak to speak to a lot of Victorians their perception of de Bortley is the Yarra Valley sure and they think that this is where we make everything here and then when we mentioned that we have uh, a vineyard up in New South Wales. They go, oh, when did you buy that? Yeah. So it's interesting how it has changed around. And I think having the, um, having this, uh, having a tourism set up here, uh, for both the restaurant and cellar door. Absolutely. You know, that's helped it as well. Absolutely. And, yeah. and I think that the, the timing of establishing here at Dixon's Creek was at a time where there were a couple of big players who were moving yes. into the region. For example, you know, speaking from my own experience, having worked at Shandong, you know, they established in That's 1986. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and there was that kind of vision of we're, we're establishing this for the, um, partly to be a, you know, a place that people can come visit. We're only mm. an hour from the city. Um, it's a great place for people to come and taste and learn and see things. And I think, establishing a number of different kind of outposts in the Yarra Valley. It's not even that long ago, but you think there mustn't have been that much tourism back then. And you think about where the Yarra Valley is now, and it's incredible. And and it's expanded beyond wine. Mm -hmm. So there's cider, there's spirits. uh, Just past a chocolatery. Chocolatery, of course. There's the the tourism offering in in the Yarra Valley now is so much more than it was when we first arrived. There there are only a handful of wineries. I don't know, maybe 12 wineries, but of those, uh, probably only um, half of them were open to the public. Yeah, exactly. Well, you think mm. about some of these, you know, really classic Yarra Valley producers, yes. um, you know, Yarra Yering and Yeringberg and Mount mm. Mary, some of them still don't even have no. cellar doors. Yeah. Uh, maybe they open up for one weekend of the year. Mm. Um, and so... so having kind of places for people to come and visit and taste and learn and and I guess educate pull them up that yes. kind of value chain into the more premium areas and that gave them this uh, perception of de Bortoli as a more premium producer as a mm. cool climate producer oh yes and, uh, and and something that we've very much focused on here is is about that whole food and wine matching um, food and wine education cheese and wine we set up a cheese shop and and it's for our staff. They they uh, when when we have visitors coming in, the they might order a, a a cheese platter with four cheeses, and then the staff will go through and say, okay, try the sparkling wine with this one, try the Chardonnay with this one, try red with this one, try Noble one with this one, and 
for for a lot of visitors, it's a real revelation because most people think, oh yes, you have cheese at the end of a meal and yeah. you have it with red wine. Yeah. But um, there are some cheeses that just just don't go with red wine. So for us, that that's what we want to focus on here is just that whole whole education and and also when you're having wine too, it's you're not. Going around tasting wines, a whole lot of wines at cellar door doesn't give you what the experience of, of well, that's enjoying not how you wine drink wine about. at home. That's not no. how you enjoy you having that's it right. with the meal. And I, I think that's another really important thing. Is uh, am I right that um, this was sort of one of the earlier winery restaurants in the Yarra Valley as well? Yes, there were uh, uh, there were a couple like Yarraburn, um, Ferguson's, who who had had restaurants, uh, but for us. This was probably one of the first, uh, well, I guess, um, sort of premium style. Sure. Uh, and it was a baptism by fire because we, we knew how to make wine and we knew how to sell wine through cellar door. But uh, actually getting into the restaurant business was a whole different ballgame. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, and, and as far as the kind of the, the restaurant side of things, did you possibly want to introduce a little bit of an Italian flair to Very things? Very much so. Well, we and even now that's we play to our strengths, we play to what we're about. And so for us it is very much about that Italian background. So we we have quite a few pastas on, on the menu and they're all they're all housemade. Mm-hmm. Uh, gnocchi, of course. We've got to have gnocchi in there. And uh, and a and a lot of the food that we do is um, is more about shared shared dining and more and more today whenever you go to a restaurant i think people are are wanting to have more of that shared dining shared dining experience absolutely mm-hmm. and and that's i think that's kind of when people are going out for dinner in town you know more often than not it might be just be you and your partner mm. whereas more I've, and i know this having worked in cellar door myself mm. Going out to a wine region and visiting wineries, going and tasting stuff like that's something you do with, you know, maybe a, a few couples or with an extended yeah, family, something like that. Right. So that, you know, it's a perfect opportunity to sort of having, having that kind of shared experience, mm. that family or friends experience. And, mm. and I think it is, it's a beautiful way to, uh, um, you know, enjoy and learn a little bit about wine and having it in the context of food. Oh, very much so. And on weekends, there's often, there's large groups. We'll have groups of 12, 14, 16. Some of them are celebrating um, important milestones. Others are coming out for a day in the valley. Uh, We're finding we're getting a lot more uh, Chinese visitors to to the region mm-hmm. and and often when they come out they come out as larger groups yes uh, and they'll come up to the restaurant um, and they'll they, they might still be learning about wine but they're uh, they're very keen and we um, we're, we're just finding now that um, yeah they're, they're certainly being a lot more open and the for, for them the dining experience is very much about well with we, we have a few round tables so they like to sit. Um, at the round tables, but for them it's about ordering a few dishes and putting it into the centre and everybody everybody just helping themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was always one of the great things about going and having a, having a nice dinner on Victoria Street in Richmond was uh, mm. you know, that kind of shared thing that we would do. Um, so uh, beyond establishing in the Yarra Valley, you, you mentioned a couple of other regions in Victoria. What, what was the... Um, the the reasons for for moving into some of these other regions, apart from just expansion and needing to you know produce a bit more wine. 
Uh, well, I think it's um, always just looking at other regions and looking at uh, um, looking at uh, whether there is a history uh, of grape production there, and certainly up in the northeast, with quite a few Italians moving into the King Valley. Uh, well, a lot of them were tobacco growers, yeah. and uh, and then they, they moved across to establishing vineyards. And we mentioned the Browns, of course. Yes, uh, and um, and now with the Dalzottos and the Pizzinis, mm-hmm. and, and and it's becoming known for things like Prosecco and Pinot Grigio and basically anything that ends in O or A. <laughs> but but uh, we um, we're pretty excited with um, with what the King Valley can do. Uh, some of the varieties that we planted there in the early days aren't um, aren't working. We probably thought that um, planting Shiraz there was was clever, mm-hmm. but uh, we're finding now that there are other Iberian varieties which are doing doing better. And we really? have things okay. like Tempranillo and um, Tintacayo, a few few different things planted up there. Wow. Uh, Sangiovese, um, well Prosecco's just gone crazy so we do have quite a bit of prosecco mm-hmm. um, planted as well mm-hmm. and we and it's such a beautiful region if you if anyone's ever been up there and where our vineyards um, has uh, a few kilometers of king river frontage so it's a lovely plot to, lovely place to go camping but it's it it is quite beautiful it's it's a different different vistas to the yarra valley certainly but uh it's slightly, um, slightly more rugged Yes, yes, and it's de- uh, and it's developing a, a very much a food and wine culture up there as well. Yeah, and and certainly with the, those Italian families um, you mentioned, that, you know they're c- connecting a lot with mm. that kind of Italian heritage and the, the kind of Italian lifestyle, mm. and and uh, you know of course the Pizzini family. Um, Katrina Pizzini, mm. of course, has yeah. her cooking school, um, and, and I think it, it actually makes sense, mm. you know, yep. that for you guys to be a part of that, having mm. been uh, a really really important um, kind of. Uh, probably one of the earlier ones as far as Italian migrants to establish a wine business and 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 put their name on it in, in yes. a way. Um, and and so the, 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 the king does the King Valley fruit go into specific ranges or they just we have uh, it uh, we have a range called Bellariva which is pretty much just from that vineyard. Okay. Then we also have um, it the fruit from there we use for our Windy Peak range, which is sure. just that. Really lovely um, mid-level, oh, so, well, entry entry level. Yes. Uh, we also we also use it for uh, sourcing or um, well, providing fruit for our other ranges. We do a, a Pinot Bianco um, from there, which is in our Vinoc range. Yes. And our Vinoc range is is a bit of a play label for Steve and I, where we experiment with different things like um, Nebbiolo Rosé and. Um, the Pinot Bianco. Uh, we also have a Yarra Valley Sangiovese, Yarra Valley Gamay. So being able to being able to uh, have have a few different areas where we can um, use that fruit. But the Bella River is the main range, which is pretty much 100% uh, King Valley. Mm. And then across in um, Heathcote, which uh, we bought a vineyard from there only a couple of years ago, right. we see we see enormous potential for a region like Heathcote for producing just you know, really beautiful, plump, generous um, reds. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a history of Shiraz, Heathcote Shiraz, uh, but we're also excited with um, varieties like uh, Grenache 
and we think Grand Ash uh, will do very well in Heathcote. It makes we, sense. It mm. makes sense. I, like I, I, for a long time, I kind of considered Heathcote as a sort of the Barossa of Victoria. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, because Shiraz did so well, um, and it's it's interesting that they're apart from a few kind of well-known but smaller producers who mm. are working with Grenache, you don't really see it as much. No. Considering, and considering how much Grenache and, I guess, Mouvedra you see in regions like the Barossa or McLaren Vale in South Australia. Mm. Oh, uh, very much so. But I think um, I think in the future uh, we'll see more there. And uh, and what we love about Grenache, it's such a perfumed variety and it just it just adds that perfume to um, to spicy Shiraz. It's very and versatile as well. It's a great rosé variety. Yes. Well, we do make a Grenache rosé as well. <laughs> and sp- speaking of rosé, that's been one of the other things that you guys have been really, really um, um, working hard on is, uh, you know, I, I know, having again, having worked in the cellar door, um, I would kind of, you know, be on a, on a tasting bar and I would say, oh, would you like to try our rosé? And then uh, people would say, oh, I don't like rosé. I don't really mm. like sweet wines. Mm. And you would have to, every time, you'd have to kind of explain, well, actually, you know, most rosé is dry. This is a dry yeah. rosé. There mm. Maybe there's some fruitiness to it, but, but it's mm. a dry rosé. And, and this is something you guys have really been pushing is, um, is this rosé revolution, as you call it. Yes, pale, dry rosé, um, grown for purpose, you know, and certainly in the early days, m- most of the rosé that, uh, that was available out there was the darker pink, sweeter style mm. but for anyone great who's, wines in their own right but, well that's right you know. but for anyone who's ever been to the south of france you 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 just see all those gorgeous rosés there mediterranean climate delicious food mm-hmm. everybody's drinking rosé mm-hmm. and and then you come back to australia and you just think it should abs- absolutely be it should absolutely take off here it's rosé is made for the Australian climate and yeah, lifestyle and barbecues. Oh yes, and so when uh, when Steve and I, uh, quite a few years ago, after coming back from South of France, all inspired, and we decided to make a Pinot Rosé, and our sales team were very cagey, and they said, "Oh, there's not a market for that. You know, make what you want for cellar door, but um, there's not a general market out there." And we we decided to back ourselves, so we made a little bit more. And we did have it in cellar door, but um, we did go out there and we did show to certain retailers and to restaurants and uh, it, it was enormously popular. Uh, since then, we now make about four or five pale dry rosés from different different varieties. Uh, and are these all under the La Boheme um, uh, No, they're different under different, different ranges. So the villages, which we do the, uh, we do the Heathcote Shiraz Grenache. Mm-hmm. We also make a Grenache Rosé. And also uh, from the King Valley, we make a Sangiovese Rosé. <gasps> My favourite rosé variety. And then here from this property, we make Nebbiola Rosé and the Pinot. We also make the uh, La Boheme Pinot Rosé. Right. And there's uh, and there's there's a couple of others in in the offing as well. Uh, now um, I've noticed that you you mentioned quite a few Italian varieties there. Um, the the kind of the um, impetus to plant um, more Italian varieties and and make more wines with Italian varieties was that a, a kind of a trying to connect to the, the yes. family heritage or was it you know trying to um, see more potential with the alternative varieties in the market, or was it kind of both? 
both, actually. <laughs> uh, yes, we, we did want to plant some uh, uh, Italian varieties and we planted Nebbiolo uh, on, on this property here, but uh, we, we feel it's probably going to... It will be some time before we do a do a, a dry red style. We have made a uh, we have made a, a dry red, but we've found that the Nebbiolo Rosé is a very popular style of wine. Sure. Uh, so we're looking at what we're looking at is with all the different regions is looking at the varieties that are suited to those re- regions. Sure. So sure. even places like Heathcote and. Um, in parts, King Valley, um, up in Griffith, looking at some of those Iberian varieties, which okay. are more suited to sort of the warmer climate. But then also looking at some of the different varieties that we, we plant um, here. So we've planted, uh, 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 we have um, Pinot Grigio or Pinot Gris. And uh, uh, what else have we got? Um, um, Sangiovese, Nebbiolo, um We've also planted Pinot Blanc. But, Pinot uh, Bianco, yeah. Yes. And um, another variety we're very excited about for the Yarra Valley, it's not, a, it's not an Italian variety, but uh, Gamay. We cool. feel that Gamay's got huge potential here. Sure. Wow. But what we love about the uh, Italian varieties is that some of them have, a, have that uh, wonderful savoury quality about them that goes so well with food. Absolutely. So having a... Having a Sangiovese with um, with a bowl of pasta, or uh, 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 Greco with um, with barbecued um, shellfish, sure, mm. Morton Bay bugs, something like that. Yes, yes, uh, fantastic. And 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 just one last question: um, as far as kind of where everything started in Griffith, um, do you think that there's opportunities to sort of make more premium wines potentially with some of these slightly more Mediterranean varieties and, you know... In the, in a, the warm... In Griffith? Exactly. Yes. I think there is. Uh, I think it's about finding the, the right... Finding the right variety. Sure. Uh, and, and for us, uh, the good thing about being a family company is that we're prepared to experiment and if the experiment, if it fails, yes, we pull it out and we plant something else. But right. I think there is this willingness to give it a go. Something that your grandfather probably wasn't able to do. No, that's right. <laughs> but if he if he hadn't have done what he he had uh, done way back uh, mm. when he first arrived here in Australia, then uh, we wouldn't be here um, chatting about 90 years of uh, incredible de Bortoli wine history. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Leanne, thank you very much. Uh, I do really appreciate you making some time. Um, would you like to let people know about some of the, if there are any um, possible events or things you'd like to let them know about, um, website addresses, any mm. social media accounts you'd like them to follow? Well, if um, certainly going to our website, which is um, just um, www.debortley.com.au, and from there, there's, uh, there's certainly, we do have a lot of events here happening here at the Yarra Valley, so if anyone is interested in coming out, we have things like the celebration of the pig, uh, some 90th anniversary celebrations later on this year. Uh, so, uh, yes, we'd love to see people coming out and helping us enjoy 90 years. Fantastic. And and uh, I know that you have uh, uh, quite a social media presence yourself. Um, do, you, do you want to share your social media accounts, possibly? Um, sure. Well, I'm, I love Instagram, and being out here on the vineyard gives me the opportunity to take lots of photos of things that are happening around the place. So my Instagram account is just Leanne Dot Uh 
or my handle, um, though we also have a, a Dwarfly Wines uh, Instagram account uh, as well. And we are on Facebook and Twitter, <laughs> pretty much all of them. Fantastic. Well, uh, thank you again, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what the, the future, the next 90 years holds. Yes, well, it'll be in the hands of the of the fourth geners for the, <laughs> for the centenary in 10 years. Indeed. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to this episode of The Vincast. I have been James Gersbrook, otherwise known as The Intrepid Wino. And as always, you can find me on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm at Intrepid Wino. And you can find the podcast on Twitter, at The Vincast. Uh, I'd love for you to visit my YouTube channel, Intrepid Wino, one word. Lots of different videos there, uh, including my series uh, with my experiences making my first two vintages of Vino Intrepido, uh, and also my series called Let's Taste, where I open Australian and New Zealand wines and share my impressions. I'm approaching 200 editions of that, so uh, uh, do check that out. Pretty soon I'll be putting up one uh, with that awesome local drop um, Italian varietal Australian wine pack. Uh, so yeah, go and subscribe, um, watch a few videos, like, share on social media, leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can find the podcast on a number of different platforms, uh, on iTunes, Podbean, Player FM, Stitcher, uh, iHeartRadio. I hope soon, I think, uh, Spotify, maybe, um, whatever the Google, the Android uh, podcasting app will be. Uh, please do subscribe uh, because you will be able to get the full uh, library of uh, episodes as well as getting the newest episode as soon as it becomes available. Uh, and you would be doing me a massive favor by leaving a rating and review uh, because it's great to get some feedback from the listeners, not only for myself, but also for the, uh, the former and potential guests. Um, please do visit me at intrepidwino.com. Lots of different ways of getting in contact with me there. Lots of different content I've written uh, in the past as well. Uh, but guys, until next time, bye. Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. Earbudsnetwork.com.